Welcome you again tonight. We are going to continue this evening through our series to the book of James. We uh, getting working through chapter four now, and so we really only have one chapter left. Tonight we're going to talk about living with God in view. Living with God in view. But before we get started, let's pray together one more time. Lord, we thank you now for this honor and privilege to hear from you. Lord, we pray that you would open our ears to believe, trust, understand, obey what you have spoken to us through your servant, James. Lord, if there's any place, Lord, where we presume God upon our strength or our power or our plans, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to recent, to reorient our lives, God, around you. So bless us now, we pray. Bless the preaching and the hearing of your word, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. And um, and this evening... We have this uh, very famous passage from James where um, <laughs> he's talking about life is a vapor. And, you know, we don't, you know, we don't really think about that or don't like to think about that. But what we learned tonight is that it's reality. <laughs> and so we, we best be thinking about it so that we can... As James has told us so often, be wise, be truly wise. So that we're going to talk, that's what we're going to talk about tonight, living with God in view. So I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. As we read from James chapter 4, beginning tonight in verse 13. Verse 13. James says, Come now, you who say... Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. The Word of God may be seated. I want to see three things from our passage, and really, I'm going to put them all in in one sentence here. One sentence and three points. The sentence is this. Life is a vapor out of our control, but God is in control, so we must live in view of him. Life is a vapor out of our control, but God is in control, so we must live in view of Him. So I'm going to focus on the first part of the sentence now. Life is a vapor out of our control. So what James says is there's these people, these hypothetical people, and they say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. It seems here James is addressing businessmen, but of course James is not especially concerned with businessmen. 
Rather, it's the attitude that is being portrayed in this saying. And so this provocation is just an instant of a more general point that he wants to make. And that is, he's condemning this attitude. Uh, This attitude that says what? That says today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. And what, how does James respond to this kind of attitude? He says this, he says, Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And so what James is addressing here is this, this, um, this attitude of arrogance or confidence with which people plan and think about their future without reference to God. That's the key here. In other words, James is telling us that there's a way to plan, there's a way to think, there's a way to view the future and have expectations concerning the future that is arrogant, that is prideful, and that is godless. That's what James is saying. And you see, we kind of know this to be true because we all make plans We all make plans for ourselves. We make plans for our friends and for our relatives. We make plans for our church. We make plans for, parents make plans for their kids. Right? We we all make plans. And, um, And the entire time as we're making our plans, what can be happening is that in our planning, we are relying on our own strength, on our own wisdom, on our own business or financial savvy or relational and parental skills, we can be making all these plans about what, what's going to happen and what we're going to do with total disregard for God. With total disregard for God. So the question that we need to ask ourselves is this. When was the last time that God was the center of our plans? When's the last time you made plans about something and you consciously said, okay, now before we, before we do this, we got to make sure that it's centered about God. We need to pray and seek God's will on this matter. You see, James says that to do this is arrogant. It's prideful. It neglects, James says, the most fundamental fact about our lives. And that, and that is this, is that life is a vapor and we're not in control. We're not in control. And so, in what ways is this true? In what ways is it arrogant to make plans and to live as if God doesn't exist? Three ways I want to point out here. The first way is this, is that it's arrogant because, number one, we're limited in our knowledge. We're limited in our knowledge. Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. It's almost as if James is speaking directly about this verse here. So, we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So to make plans about tomorrow as if we're in total control is arrogant. Why? Because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We just don't know. We are limited in our knowledge. You see, nine out of ten of us, we make, we, we get, we, when we get the most frustrated in our lives, it's because we've, made, we've had plans. That didn't go the way we want them to go. There was some show sometime, you know, that had like, they called them Bridezillas, right? Bridezillas on the show. And it's a show about how outraged people would get over what? 
their wedding not working out like they wanted it to. Because why? Because you make plans and then God, time after time, reminds you of what? You're not in control. You don't know what tomorrow can bring. And what James is saying is that he's pleading for us to get a proper perspective. Not that he's saying we shouldn't make plans, but what he's saying is that all of our plans should be made in the fear of God. We, in other words, we can, it's not wrong to make plans. In fact, the Bible commends making plans. But what he's saying is we should hold our plans loosely, recognizing and acknowledging that at any point God has full and unfettered rights to change my plans if he wants to. And we should believe in that, trust that, expect that, be surrendered to it. In fact, embrace it in our lives. We are limited in our knowledge. We don't know what tomorrow could bring. An accident could happen. A diagnosis could be given. Someone could be here today and is not there tomorrow. Reality, James says, reality, the Bible says, is we don't know. And to live and think and plan as if we do is arrogant. We are limited in our knowledge, but not only that, number two, we're limited in our power. We're limited in our power. Jesus said, Matthew six twenty seven, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? You see, it's a great irony that so many people are gripped by worry and anxiety and fear. Gripped, controlled, sometimes even enslaved by it. And yet, Jesus says, for all your worrying, you know what it does? Nothing. In fact, you can't add a single hour to your life. What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying this. You have no, <laughs> you have no power to control that. And it's strange, it's strange, too. The things that we tend to worry about the most are the things that we have no control over. Which is greatly ironic because it's the very things that we have the least power to address or to deal with is the things that we spend our most time being anxious and worried over. What James is saying is that rather than being worried and anxious over our lack of control, far better to just humbly acknowledge that we have no control and therefore entrust our concerns, our fears, and our worries to the one who is in control. Entrust these concerns to a faithful God who, in fact, does, who, in fact, is not limited in his power like we are. You see, we're limited in our power, but the problem is, is we forget how utterly weak and dependent we are on God. And when that comes, it brings pride. It brings pride. It's it's true of all of us, and it's true in the Bible. And in fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 8... Moses warned the Israelites specifically that they would do this once God brought them into the promised land. He said, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. That he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. We can't act like we don't do this, folks. You see, God knew that he, he knew that when he blessed Israel, when he brought them out of the land of Egypt and into the promised land, when God 
made it rain. When God gave them the physical health and strength to work the land. When, when God gave them the wisdom and the skill to work effectively and efficiently. When God made the crops grow. God knew that when God did all these things, Israel would say, I did it. It was me. I worked hard. And look at what I've done. It's pride. It's arrogance. You see, human arrogance always tempts us to to think that we're a self-made man, a self-made woman. Until what? Until the drought comes. Until the company lays you off. Until the government shuts down. Until the stock market crashes. Until an accident happens and you're disabled and you can't work anymore. And then you remember what? That it was God who made you. You didn't make yourself. And that every blessing you enjoyed did not come from you, but came from a good and gracious God who gave it to you. You see, we're limited in our power. And we have to remember that. And give glory to God. So we're limited in our knowledge. We're limited in our power. Number three, we're limited in our days. James says, what is your life for you or a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes? You see, this is a simple truth that we easily forget, but it's attested to all over Scripture. Psalm 39. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. A man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. Psalm 90, this, was, this psalm was written by Moses. He says, the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You see, life is short, folks. Life is short. In fact, even if you have a comparably long life, 70, 80, 90, even 100 years, in reality, in the big scheme of things, that is nothing. There's been lots of centuries before now, and unless the Lord tarries, if the Lord tarries, there'll there'll be lots of centuries after. Life is short, and eternity is long. In fact, in comparison, it's nothing. It's less than nothing. A breath, a vapor that's gone in the wind. You see, we have no power over the length of our lives. Again, remember Jesus said, we have no power to add even an hour to the span of our life. What is that? It's a gift of God. It's governed by God. You're invincible. Until God says it's your time to go. And then when it's your time to go, if it's your time to go, there's nothing you can do about it. A vapor. 
A breath we are. God has appointed us. Each of us individually according to his purpose and his plan and his wisdom. A certain amount of time and we don't know how long that time is. We all like to think it's going to be longer than it is. But remember, we don't know the future. We don't know what holds. We can't control the future. We have limited time and we will be fools to forget it. We all like to think it's longer than it is, but you just don't know. We just don't know. September 11, 2001. 3,000 people woke up and went to work the same way they always did. And they didn't come home. It happens every day. It happens every day. Our life is a vapor. And you know, I've been, I've, been, I've been thinking about this. Every day is a gift and we're never promised tomorrow. You know, I've been, you, know you have to think about it. You know, you, you know we talk about we got, a, we got a long prayer list. You know, we're always hearing about someone else. Something else happening. Someone else being sick. You know, and I, and I think about it. I think about it. You know, not just not just the fact that I, you know, I could die. Something could happen. Something could happen. I could I could die. But not just that. But it could be that you know, an accident. I, you know, I get disabled or I get sick. I don't. I lose the health that I have now. And what does that mean? It means I won't be able to serve God the way that I can right now. And what will happen? What will happen? This is what will happen. I will look back at the time when I was perfectly healthy and say, why didn't I use it better? Why did I waste it when I could do all those things and I didn't? You see, every day's a gift. We're not, not, not only are we not guaranteed that we'll be alive tomorrow, but we're not guaranteed that we'll be able to do the same things we can do today, tomorrow. And if we have the privilege and the opportunity and the, and, and the joy of serving God and serving others today, but we don't, we might not be able to do it tomorrow. And so we must redeem the time that we've been given. That's why Moses said, God teach us to number our days. Why? So that we'll gain a heart of wisdom. And steward our days well and make the most of each and every day because each and every day is a gift that you can never get back. So we should make the most of every day. James says it's arrogance to presume upon the future because our life is a breath. You know, and it doesn't mean, I don't... I don't think we should live in fear. I don't say these things to make us afraid as if at any second I could die, though we could. (laughs) I'm not saying to walk in fear. What I'm saying is to walk in faith. That is that since we know that there is a God, since we know that he's in control, since we know that we're not and that our days are few, then we should live boldly and courageously today in faith, doing all that we can, redeeming the day, using it to its full, the best that we possibly can, so that if tomorrow I can't do what I did yesterday, I can say, I did with it what God wanted me to. 
and have no regrets about it. And trust him with it. Trust him with whatever he calls me to do. And this is dangerous in our world today. In 2019, in modern day wealthy, prosperous America. Because I really do fear for myself and for others. Even in our churches. That if we're not careful, we can trust our insurance policies and our retirement accounts and modern medicine more than we trust our God. We feel secure in life, not because we have an all-powerful God, but because that's insured. We feel secure in life, not because God gives me everything I need, because he clothes the lilies of the field and feeds the birds of the air, but because I have so much in my 401k. We feel secure in life, not because God is the one who upholds me and gives me life and breath and health and everything, but because I'm sure a doctor can take care of that. And we trust in this world more than we trust our God. It's dangerous, folks, and it's a real temptation. It's a real temptation. You know, Jesus... We might not think about this. We might not think, thought about this way before. But you know, Jesus told a parable about a man who trusted in his retirement account. You remember that story? Luke 12. He told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. That's his 401k. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry, retire, and enjoy the American dream. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. God's in control. God's our only security in this life. Better to invest in Him. If you have to choose between investing in God and your 401k, be smart. Invest in God. He's far more sure and certain. A far greater security for your life. Because why? Because we don't know. Because life is a vapor. And all we can do is this. Be faithful with the day we've been given. Because we do not know what tomorrow will hold. So number one, our life is a vapor out of our control. But God is in control. But God is in control. James 4.15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So again, what James is saying is he's saying, if we presume, it's it's the attitude. If we presume to hold our days in our hands and plan and think and, and have all our plans for our lives without even reference to God, without even thinking about God, without even surrendering and holding them loosely in the fear of God. James says it's arrogant. We've forgotten that life is a vapor. And we see... 
We must get to the place where we acknowledge that our plans will only work if the Lord wills them to. You see, that's what he says. He says, don't say that. Instead, say this. If the Lord wills, we will do this or that. What does it mean? It means this. That, the, that God's will is the decisive factor in whether or not your plans will succeed. Let me say that again. God's will is the decisive factor in whether or not your plans will succeed. What, what should that mean for us? It should mean that should change the way we make plans. It should change the way we make plans. It means we should put him at the center of our plans. And it should change the way, not only that, but it should change the way we hold our plans. In other words, we should indeed plan, but we should always be open to divine intervention. To divine change of plans we hold our plans loosely. And that's what he says. He's, see, James here, he's not trying to give some kind of magic formula. If the Lord, you know, if the Lord wills, where, where he, he, to make our statements more theologically correct. He's pointing us to a posture of heart. A way of thinking about ourselves. Thinking about the future. Thinking about God. So that we have a, a spirit of humility about us. And surrender and submission to God's will so that even as we do make plans, we're constantly, continually acknowledging if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills. And this, by the way, is the clear model that we see in Scripture. Matthew 16, Jesus in the Lord's Prayer, he taught us to pray. How did he teach us to pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is teaching us to pray specifically these words in order to shape our hearts and minds to think about things in terms of not just do I will it, but does God will it? In Matthew 26, 42, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane said, for the second time he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it. Your will be done. That's fascinating. God the Son surrendered to the will of God the Father. We see this modeled by the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. Acts 18.21 But on taking leave of them he said I will return to you if God will. And he set sail from Ephesus. Acts 21, 14. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. So in the life of Jesus and the life of Paul, what we see here as modeled for us Christians to follow is a surrender to God's will. We are to be surrendered to God's will. You see, it's fascinating. Jesus, Jesus, in his human nature, he didn't want to be crucified, would you? But there was some, think about it, there was something Jesus wanted more than he wanted to not be crucified. What was it? He wanted God's will to be done. 
He wanted God's will to be done more than what? More than his personal comfort. More than his plans for himself. More than a life of ease, he wanted God's will to be done. You see, there will be times in this life, and you've already experienced them, when God's will for you is to go through some hard things. The question is this, how are you going to respond? Will you be bitter and lose faith over it? Many do. Or do you trust your wise God enough to say, nevertheless, not my will, but your will, my good and kind and gracious Father, even if it hurts, your will be done. You see, it's an attitude. It's a different way of thinking about and approaching God. You see, in that verse in Acts 18.21, he told the Ephesians that he would return if the Lord wills. This is a, a perfect example of what James is telling us to do. You see, Paul had plans. He was making plans. He wanted to see the Ephesians again. But at the same time, he didn't want to give them too high of expectations because Paul, more than anybody, recognized this. God can change your plans. Paul didn't plan to be beaten. Paul didn't plan to be stoned. Paul didn't plan to be chased by a mob. Paul didn't plan to have his head cut off. But he did. Why? Because that was God's plan for him. And he said, I want to come back to you, but if I do, it will only be because the Lord wills it. Paul was surrendered to that, surrendered to God's will. His life was ultimately in God's hands. What are some reasons, some support to help us, to help us surrender our lives to God in this way? Well, We can surrender our lives to God in this way when we understand two things. The first thing is this, is to remember, as we said, that God controls everything, even the little things. God controls even the little things. Why is that important? Because if we acknowledge that God controls even the little things, then that means that even the little things should be entrusted to him. Even something like, yeah, I may come visit again. If the Lord wills, even the little things is in his control. Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Proverbs 16, 33, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Every turn of the card, every roll of the dice in Las Vegas is controlled by Almighty God. Jeremiah 10.23, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. God is in control of everything, so we should surrender everything to his will. And finally, and, and very importantly, we can surrender our will to God's will when we remember that God works all things for good. That God works all things for good. Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. You see, this is the great ground of the Christian hope. This is the great ground of the Christian hope. 
because we believe that God is good, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, and that even our difficult circumstances, God will work them ultimately for a greater good than if the difficult circumstances never occurred. Only if we believe is that true, that that is true, can we surrender our will fully to him. Think about, of course, again, the ultimate case of Jesus' crucifixion. What was it? We said it was God's will, but it was more than that. What was it that actually made Jesus surrender his will to God's in the Garden of Gethsemane? Causing him to embrace the cross. But of course, we know it was much worse than just the cross. But the Bible, the Bible teaches that God poured out his wrath due sin on Jesus on the cross. He forsook Jesus on the cross. He was pierced for our transgressions. Crushed for our iniquities. What ultimately made Jesus surrender his will to God's will? It was because, the book of Hebrews tells us, it was because he knew that in surrendering to God's will, it would work a greater good and a greater joy than if he didn't. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. And I, come on, think about it. If Jesus did not fulfill the purpose for which he was sent, he would not know the eternal, everlasting glory of being the Savior of the world and, seated, and being seated at the right hand of God Almighty. In other words, enduring, yes, enduring even suffering for Christ's sake will bring such a great and glorious reward that the suffering will be as nothing when the reward comes. And it's only when you believe that in the midst of your suffering that you can really endure joyfully your suffering. Remember what Paul said? This light momentary affliction. Remember, remember Paul's light and momentary affliction? was mobs and beatings and imprisonments. But Paul said this light momentary affliction is working for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. In Romans 8, Paul says, I consider the sufferings of this present world are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. We can surrender our will to God because he is in control and because he works all things for good. So we see life is a vapor out of our control, but God is in control. And so number three, so we must live in view of him. That's what James says, verse 16. It says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. You see, he's, all he's doing is really just applying what we have just talked about. That boasting in the future, having this attitude where we think we can control things, that we can plan out our future, that we have all things lined up exactly like we want to without 
totally without reference to God. James says it's arrogant, it's boasting, it's evil. And so James concludes by saying, therefore, if you know the right thing to do, that is, if you know you should live in view of God, then you should do it. Because to know the right thing to do and not do it, James says, is sin. It's sin. And this is important for us. We must live out what is true. James has told us how we're to live here, how we're to make plans and think in view of him. And if we know it and don't do it, the Bible says it's sin. We must live out what we know is true. And you know, again, I just think, I just fear that there are many people who, again, they give, they give assent to the truths of Christianity. They would nod their head to everything I just said in this sermon. But in reality, if, if they were on candid camera 24-7 and we saw the way they lived their lives Monday through Saturday, we would have no idea they're a follower of Christ. And if that's the case, they probably aren't. It's not enough to just hear, as James says, and this is another way of what James is saying, what he said in the whole book. It's not enough just to hear to not, if you know the right thing to do, we must do it. If we know that life is a vapor, we must, do, we must live in view of that. We must seize the day. We must stop wasting time. We must get after it. Serve God with the time and the days that we've been given while we have the strength and the power to do it. To live in view of God while we still can. To be good stewards of what he has given us And the most precious commodity that we have is our time. Because life is a vapor. Or to put it positively, and with this we'll close, to put it positively, the book of Proverbs says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And He will make straight your path. You see... What James is talking about here, living in view of God and living in view that life is a vapor, that we have no control over it, it's that, you may think, oh, well, that's just, that would make you afraid. That would make, that would paralyze you. No, it actually does the opposite. It frees you. When you trust God with your life, it's freeing. When you realize you're not in control, it's freeing because you stop trying to control it. And you stop being frustrated when you can't. When you realize that God is in control and you can truly hand over your fears and worries and anxiety to him and say, you know what? I'm giving this to God and he's going to make it work out in his good wisdom how he wants it to and how and his will be done. And I'm just going to serve him and be grateful for the time I've been given. When you live that way, you really are free. You're not controlled by your external circumstances anymore. You're free to do the best every day for God in whatever circumstances you find yourself. Remember Paul? He said, I learned how to have plenty and how to abound. I learned, I learned to do with, with much in, in good times and bad times. And that's that famous verse that we take out of context. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What is he saying? He's not saying I can win football games for Jesus. He's saying... Whatever God decides that I need to go through, 
I can do it. And I will serve him in it. And I'll be grateful for all that he gives me because I can do anything through Christ who gives me strength. Even if it's mobs or beatings or imprisonments, I can do all things because he gives me strength. Even if it's a loss of a loved one or cancer or the loss of a job, I can do it. If that's God's will, I can do it. Not because I'm great, but because Christ strengthens me. Christ strengthens me. It's freeing. It's freeing when we surrender to the Lord. And if you, if you don't know that peace, that hope that we can only have of knowing that we've surrendered our lives to God, then I invite you tonight. Stop trying to control it. You can't. Just surrender to Him. Hand your life over to Him. Stop saying, my will be done, and start trusting and saying, God, your will be done. And I'll believe you and trust you all the way. And you know what will happen when you do? He'll strengthen you in it all. Let's pray.